Listening to audio from Memphis Christian Church. If you'd like to check out more resources or donate to this ministry, please visit memphiscc.info. Well, good morning. It is so good to see you all out, and I have looked so forward to this time of the year this year. Last year was so interesting at the end of the year, and we missed out on the opportunity to all be present for Christmas Eve, which is always special here in that weekend of celebration, but not this year, right? This year, we're going to pack this place out for all three opportunities that we have to be together. Carly and Jason and Dan and everyone else who is part of that new song. Isn't that amazing? The MCC worship, that, that's just amazing. And I, I look forward to seeing a new song with each series, don't you? We'll just put them, make sure they stay busy working. Those of you who transformed this room and the lobby last Sunday after service, thank you so much. Thanks for helping to bring the lights and the season into this room as we celebrate the focus of it all, Jesus Christ, right? Right, yes, yes, right? Right, yeah. I heard last night, little Bigelow, David's son, he is confused about Santa. He believes with all of his heart that Santa is Jesus. So if you talk to, if you talk to little Samuel, you just go along with it, at least for the first year. So we'll get it straightened out later. Well, grab your Bible. Grab your Bible and turn with me to Luke chapter 2 as we begin this, at least for me, a much-anticipated uh, series. As we look at both the first and second arrival of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. And we're going to pick up in verse 25 of Luke chapter 2. Now, both the first and the second comings of Christ are signaled by specific events, very specific events that are captured throughout all of Scripture. And both arouse many different emotions, thoughts, even questions. When will he come, right? Has he forgotten us? A star in the sky, a, a teenage, a teenage virgin engaged to be married and now expecting. What about the sound of a trumpet? What about the dead in Christ rising from the grave all across the world as Jesus appears in the sky, met face to face by the entire world in one single moment? Jesus doesn't tell us when he's coming back. And in fact, he said not even to speculate, right? While he was here, he said, no one knows the time. No one knows the hour. Not even the angels in heaven. Not even me, as he referred to himself, the Son of God. Only the Father. But Jesus makes it clear. He makes it clear that there will be signs of the time. There were certainly signs preparing for his first Arrival all throughout the Old Testament, all the way back to Genesis 3.15, right at the fall, right at the very beginning, when God said to the serpent, you will strike his heel, but he will crush your head, as he let us know there in Genesis 3.15 that Jesus would be born of a woman. Micah 5.2 gets more specific. He will be born in Bethlehem, Isaiah 7, 14, 
He will be born of a virgin, and he will be called Emmanuel, God with us. Jeremiah 31, 15, that a massacre of children would happen at the Messiah's birthplace. As we now know, the rest of that story is Herod ordered the death of newborn baby boys in an effort to eliminate the Christ child. Yet his arrival with all of these prophecies and dozens more, yet his arrival, even the most devout, the most educated on the signs, didn't make the connection. They missed the signals, and they missed the Savior. But Simeon, Simeon is remembered not for his speculation, not for his dozens of books, which he didn't write, about the signs of the time. He's known for waiting and knowing the signals to look for, that he was able to recognize the long-awaited Savior, not just of Israel, but of the entire world, all who would believe. And the way he watched for the first coming is a model for how we should be looking ahead toward his return. And so this weekend, I want us to look at God's first arrival, and I want us to look at how Simeon watched and anticipated what he did as he waited for the coming Messiah. And then I want us to compare that to how you and I should wait expectantly for his return. Let's look in Luke chapter 2, verse 25. We're introduced. Now in Jerusalem, there was a man named Simeon. Now, there's some things about Simeon that I want you to, to notice here because they're important. They're things that should be said of you and I today. Scripture says that Simeon was upright and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. Now, our encounter with Simeon occurs just after the birth of Jesus. Just after that night in Bethlehem as he lay in that manger, it happens just day later as Mary and Joseph take the infant son of God, they take him to the temple because it was the day of dedication. It was the day of circumcision. It was the day that they would offer an offering of thanksgiving to God for this child that had been promised and was now born. Now, it's safe to imagine Simeon as an older gentleman like Bill Stone, gray in hair, large in belly. <laughs> but he was more than likely an, an older man, gray, maybe a beard. But one of the things that would have been noticeable about him would have been the way that he entered the temple courts, the way that he came in. He was very well known. People would wave and call his name, and instead of talking and jawing, he would just go on past. He would acknowledge them, of course, like any good man would, but he, he seemed on a mission that day in particular. And so he wouldn't be interrupted. He was focused, and he was determined. In verse 27, he explains his mission that day, why he was so. It says, moved by the Spirit, Simeon went into the temple 
courts. Now, how do you respond when the Spirit moves you? The Holy Spirit that lives inside of you, the believer, the immersed in Jesus Christ. How do you respond when the Holy Spirit directs you to do something? Uh, do you make a note on your iPhone or your planner that when you get time that you will go back to that and engage that? You know, you don't want to forget about it, but, but certainly don't have time to do it now. Do you respond immediately? Stop whatever it is you're doing and go or do the thing that the Holy Spirit has directed you to do. Perhaps you just ignore him altogether, or maybe you don't hear. You're like, what, what do you mean? What, what are you talking about? This voice, this urging, this prompting. Well, that's where verse 25 comes in. And those two words, righteous and devout. You see, Simeon responded to the Spirit that day. Simeon heard the Spirit that day. Simeon didn't put off that day what the Holy Spirit directed him to do because Simeon lived his life right with God. That's what it is to be righteous, to be in alignment with God, his will, his purpose, his plans, living according to his commands. He saw where God was working. He joined God in what he was doing. And so he was able to hear God when God spoke to him. Now, I often have conversations with individuals, particularly individuals who come from a Catholic heritage. Those of you who grew up in a Catholic uh, upbringing, in a Catholic household. And one of the things that we run into is when a person who's grown up in that heritage comes to a non-denominational church like the Christian church or the Baptist church, and they want to become involved. They, they hear about baptism not by sprinkling but by immersion and a baptism that doesn't occur at birth but a baptism that occurs when you come to an understanding of who Jesus Christ is, right? The Acts 38 model. But anyway, one of the things that comes up is, is those individuals start getting pushback from their family. And so one of, the, one of the questions that I always ask is, is your family, are your parents, your family members, are they practicing Catholics? Now, as soon as I say that, first of all, I'm not picking on Catholics today. I, I want to be clear about that. Catholics are the one who came up with this term, practicing and non-practicing Catholic. I'm just calling it to your attention because that's the question that I ask, and the response is always varied, but it's clear. No, they're, they're not practicing Catholics, but they're, they're Catholics, or yes, they are. They are very devout. You see, the key is devout. While many refer to themselves as practicing or non-practicing, the truth for every one of us is that we are either devout Christians, we're all in, or we aren't Christians at all, really. Not according to the definition. Simon was devout. He was committed. He was all in. He was right with God, and he was prompted by the Holy Spirit to come to the temple, and so he did. We also know this isn't the first time that the Holy Spirit had moved 
in Simeon's life. Verse 26, the Holy Spirit had revealed to him that he would not die before he had seen the, Christ, the Lord's Christ. What does it do to you? What does it do to you to know that you, you, you personally will see God face to face? What does that do to you? What has it done to you? How does it change the way that you look and engage this very moment right now? It should change everything, right? What does it do to you to know that someday you'll see God? We know what it did to Simeon. He was constantly expecting, constantly expecting the arrival of the Messiah. Verse 25, he was living in, living in expectation of the consolation, the salvation of Israel. He was on a mission. He was wide-eyed. He was watching for the one who would come to save him. But if you thought about it, how would he? How would Simeon recognize that this was the Messiah? Several years ago, and some of you who traveled back before TSA and back before 9-11, uh, right? You'll, you'll remember this very well, but it, it still happens some even today. But back when I would travel a lot with the company that I was with, I would often be in a hurry. Anybody running late in life, right? Especially when connections don't happen and things like that happen. So I would get to the airport. I will have called ahead if it was a day when I was particularly rushed and say, hey, I don't have time to grab the metro. I don't have time to grab a taxi. Will you send someone to pick me up? And they would say, yes, no problem. We'll have someone there. And now back in the day, they used to be able to come in the airport and they would stand down there by the baggage claim and they would wait for you. Today, they have to be at the curb and they have to keep moving. So they're just driving by, but they hold a sign up, right? The sign has the name of the company. Sometimes it has your name on it. And so it's very easy to identify the person who has come to pick you up. Well, the company that I worked for didn't like to advertise. <laughs> they certainly... They certainly wouldn't advertise the company and have your name on the card. And so the first few times, the first few times, it was difficult to recognize who was there to get me, except for I knew what to look for. They were always a little weird, right? <laughs> they were the one without the sign. They were the one kind of looking around, looking at me and me looking at everyone. Our eyes would meet and we'd be like, <laughs> yeah, you know, and, and we'd finally meet up. If you could have asked Simeon, how will you know? How will you know the Messiah, Simeon? His response would have been, well, duh, duh. I have followed him all of my life. I, I not only know his commands, but I've lived in his commands. The, the scripture that is written, plus the scripture that was still being transferred from, from oral time to oral, just talking scripture, repeating it over and over again. He, he had aligned his life with that. He had felt God move. He had heard God's voice. He knew God's promises. He had been obedient and so he knew what to look for, and it wouldn't be difficult to see. Think about it. Born of a virgin? How many babies 
are really born <laughs> of a virgin. Can you imagine the word about town? Bethlehem? He knew the specific location. What about that government order that had gone out signaling that this was indeed the Messiah, that every, every newborn male child would be massacred and hope to get him, yet this child was spared? The Greek language is interesting. I don't pretend to know any Greek but the Greek language is rich in its use of the verb, which means to look, to look. There, there's a word for looking up. There's a word for looking away. There's a word for looking in. There's a, a word for looking to the side. But the word that's used here by Luke is the word that means to look for the coming. It's used to describe the action of Simeon. It means to wait forwardly. Now, while that doesn't make any sense grammatically, I used to have a preacher in the crowd that would correct my grammar every week after service. So I'm glad he moved on to correcting someone else. He gave up on me. But to wait forwardly is to be patiently vigilant. To wait forwardly is to be Calmly expectant. What rich words. To wait forwardly is to have eyes opened, arms extended, hoping to see his face appear today. Today. Every day. Every day, Simeon anticipated the arrival of Christ. In Luke chapter 12, verse 35, Jesus describes the posture of what it is to wait forwardly, the posture of the waiting servant. When he said, be dressed, be ready for service, and have your lamps shining, have the lights on. Be like servants who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding party. I don't know about you, but I remember, I remember our wedding party. The wedding was 5.30 in the day. The wedding was 5.30 in the day. The ceremony lasted forever, right? <laughs> and then you get in the car, and we were driven down to, uh, to uh, the Grand in New Albany. Name was up there on the billboard. Pay extra $300 for that. We go in the... The music plays, the cake is there, there's food everywhere, and it goes on and on and on. Now, for a newlywed, you want to get on with things, right? <laughs> but sometimes the wedding party, the, the reception, it goes on and on forever. Sometimes it's late at night, right? By the time you get out of there, you see where Jesus is taking us? Be like servants who are waiting for their master to come home from a wedding party because when he comes and knocks, he expects that the door be opened immediately. He doesn't want to stand outside. He doesn't want to wait for you to get up and get your hair all did again and get your makeup straightened up and get the proper attire to get on as you would have to. He wants you to be ready and waiting no matter the hour no matter the hour. And then what does he say? 
they, the servants, you and me, he's talking about us, who are waiting on his return. He says, they will be blessed when their master comes home because he sees that they're watching for him. I tell you the truth, he will dress himself to serve. <laughs> he will seat you at the table. And he will, he will serve you. Oh, how he serves us when we pass from this life and we go to heaven. You mean Jesus gets down on his knees and serves us? Shame on us for seeing service that way. He has served us by laying down his life for us. He has served us by taking on every thought that we've had, every act that we have committed, sparing us from an eternal separation from God. Has he not served us extravagantly? Peter urges us in the same way. He says, the day of the Lord, the Lord's return, will come like a thief. The skies will disappear with a loud noise. Everything in them will be destroyed by fire, and the earth and everything in it will be laid bare. In that way, everything will be destroyed. So what kind of people should you be? Now, here's the important part. We want to talk forever about Armageddon. We want to talk forever about the persecution. We want to talk forever about these things. We want to be experts in these things. But look what's important. So what kind of person should you be? What kind of person? You should live holy lives. The candle should be burning always. Not just when you think the time's around the corner. Not just on the weekends. Not just on a a Wednesday night. Not, not when you visit someone and, and, and you light that candle of hope and then the other days of your life you live in misery and live like hell. No. No, you should live holy lives and while you're waiting you should serve God as you wait for and look forward to. Anticipate the coming of the day of God. Now, I think for most of us, waiting for Christ isn't a problem. In fact, we've gotten used to waiting. Uh, waiting's okay. In fact, I know that there are times in life when things are, are so good that we're like, man, I hope it's not today. <laughs> right? Especially after the preacher starts a series on this stuff. <laughs> well, I'm not ready. Right? I, I want to enjoy this season with my Child, can you imagine being an expectant mother and someone saying that the return of Jesus is near and, and you want to be excited, but yet, but yet you have so much to look forward to. See, I, I don't think waiting is a problem at all. Our problem is waiting forwardly, anticipating, looking forward to. While some focus their energy on Signs, Mark 13, there'll be wars, rumors of wars. There'll be earthquakes, natural disasters, famines. Walmart will run out of toilet paper, the message version says. There'll be persecution. What about the mark of the beast? Listen, 
These are all signs that have been seen by every, gener every generation for the last 2,000 years. There's nothing new about the signs. Are the signs important? Absolutely. But we don't live by the signs. We live by our faithful commitment to Jesus Christ. We are always ready. We're always ready. Jesus said, no one knows about the day or hour, not even the angels in heaven nor the Son. Well, there might be a televangelist that knows. <laughs> Can you see the foolishness? If the Son of God doesn't even know. But the Lord does. The Lord does. As it was in the days of Noah, I love this analogy, so it will be with the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, people were eating and drinking and marrying and giving into marriage. Maybe that's why people don't get married anymore. They, they don't want to don't want to go against the scripture. That's not what it's talking. That's talking about people were just living their lives. They were having babies. They were living expectantly about what marriage was going to be like and, and having a family and, 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 and enjoying the fruits of their labors. They were living their life up until the day Noah entered the ark and they knew nothing about what would happen. They knew nothing bull. You see a man building a ship 5, 10, 15 times the size of this building when there's no water anywhere close by and you don't know what's going on. You don't go over and ask. It says that his friends even made fun of him, right? The people scoffed. They knew exactly or they could have known what was going on. But just like today, just like today, they were blind to it. They didn't care. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them away. That's how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Pay attention. Be ready. Therefore, verse 42, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. Simeon didn't know. He did not know on what day the Messiah would come. But he was aware of the signs, believe me. And more importantly, he was right with God and in tune with the Spirit. The same Spirit, remember, that told him to go to the temple that day, that hour, that specific location. You see, Simeon knew how God moved. Simeon knew what God had promised. Simeon knew what he was looking for because of that. And he knew the only way that he would see the Messiah was to what? To be in alignment. Not just when the hour comes, but every day in anticipation. Be in alignment with God's will in his ways. And so he went to the temple now, not later. Look at verse 2, verse 27. Moved by the Spirit, Simeon went to the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what was the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms, praising God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you've promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation which you've prepared in the sight of all people, all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory to your people Israel. One look 
into Jesus' face. And all that Simeon had waited for all of his life was there. And he was ready. He was ready to go home. In fact, he said, here I am. Take me now. It's all I needed to, to see. And God is doing and will do the same for you and me. Luke included this important detail about Simeon. He was righteous and devout. Here's what Peter says of us. We're to live holy lives and serve God as we wait for and look forward to the coming of the day he returns. Since then, dear friends, since you are looking forward to this, make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, at peace with him. I want to give you three takeaways that you can apply right now as we anticipate Christ's return. The first is this. Engage Jesus Christ today regardless of the signs. Engage him today. Not, not tomorrow, not next week, not when the weather's better, not when your life is less hectic, but engage him today. The signs of his return, they've been all around us for 2,000 years. Not making light of them, they're real but there's nothing new. Engage him today. Simeon had waited all of his life for this moment, every day looking, every day watching, every day expectant. But every day he was where God expected him to be. Every day he was walking in alignment with God. Every day he was listening for the Holy Spirit that dwelled on him to speak to him and direct him and to affirm him and, and counsel him. The second takeaway is this. Each time you engage the prompting of the Holy Spirit, it will be easier to recognize God and be ready for an encounter with him. Right? Every time you say yes to the Holy Spirit, the prompting, it will be easier to recognize God and be ready for an encounter with him. Simeon lived in the promise, right, that he would see the Messiah before he died. And you and I, you and I have an equal promise. We will see Jesus. We, we will. We will stand toe-to-toe -to -toe with him. In fact, it says every knee, not just my knee, not just church people's knees, but those who have ignored the Spirit, those who have ignored the signs, those who have scoffed, those who believe they're self-sufficient, every knee will bow. Every tongue will confess that he is Lord. The situation is, is it will either be to your salvation as it was to Simeon, or it will be to your eternal damnation, eternity separated from God in a place, in a place called hell. The Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit that leads us and guides us through the wait.
and the opportunities that are before us every day. Opportunities that train us, if you think about that. I talk often with people who are facing a very difficult time. Uh, Sarah, is Emma downstairs? Okay. Uh, we had just something crazy awful happen. And, and you know how I tease about animals, you know, especially cats. But we've got kittens at our house. And, and this, this, uh, this week our pool got a leak, and so I took the cover off the pool and and uh, we started giving the kittens away, which was just terrible. I was at a funeral Friday when the first one left, and Sarah said it was just awful, you know, the tears that happen when you give a cat away. And, and so that night, that night when I got in, it was late, but there in the living room was a stool, and all of us were instructed to sit on the couch. And on her little iMac, or iPad Mac thing, the computer thing, she had a presentation, Emma did. I, I mean, it was a presentation. And you can imagine what the presentation was. She had picked out one of the three kittens. You know what's going to happen. She picked out one of the three kittens that she wanted to have inside. Listen, we've been there. We've done that with Olivia. And so she gets into this presentation. She closes her computer, and she comes over to me, and she says, I know. I know. I can't have the cat inside. I said, well, guess what? You can have the cat inside. And Olivia jumped up. Is something wrong with you? <laughs> but we said, we said, um, let the kitten stay outside with the others until we find homes for them so none of them be lonely. The next morning, next morning, Emma went out as she always does. She went out on the deck where we had an insulated house for them and lavish foods and beverages for the cats out there. And I was in the house, and I heard the most God-awful, blood-curdling scream. And as I walked out, I saw my little girl peering over into the pool on her knees, brokenhearted. A day later, last night, we're at church, and everything's over and she's sitting on the couch and the tears just start to come now she's been through this she's been through this a dozen times Molda's daughter was just in a funk and we thought it was a teenage funk yesterday the last night when laid down mom always goes in rubs her back and tells her good night and so what's going on Liv she says I'm just tired of death <laughs> she's rounded all the time at our house and they've done so good we've not hidden anything from them but sometimes it just stinks. It just stinks. It was the Holy Spirit that prompted Simeon to go that day to the temple courts. And it was his spirit that led him to recognize the Messiah. Peter says, since we live by the Spirit, Galatians says, since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. And keeping in step with the Spirit means that, means that we're going we're gonna to experience a lot of things in this life. But we lean on him. We listen to how he prompts us. And every time we do, we are better able to recognize that it is God. We're better able to recognize 
him. And so here's our third takeaway. And that is hope for the future is not a license for irresponsibility in the present. That's another big chunk. I want you to think about that. Because we have this hope for the future. It does not let us off the hook. It does not mean that we go out and we're irresponsible with this life that we have here. You see, one of the most difficult lessons that each one of us learns, like my daughter learned, and that we continue to learn sometimes over and over again, is that we must take responsibility for today. The thoughts that we have today, the choices that we make today, the decisions that not only affect our today, but tomorrow. I want you to think about what Simeon would have missed. Simeon would have missed his encounter with the Christ child had he not listened to the Spirit's prompting and responded that day, that hour, that place. And Simeon would not have heard the Spirit had he not responded to the call of God in his life in the first place. At that moment of his encounter with Jesus, Simeon said, Sovereign Lord, I can die at peace. I can die at peace. Most of us could make a list. (laughs) Most of us have a list. It's right here. Of the people that God has come unexpectedly for. (laughs) People that were perfectly good health. People who had disease but had been given a whole lot more time. People who one day get up and leave the house to go to work and, and don't come back home. But they are people, much, many of those people on that list, right, are people who, who were responsible for their day. They had made the appropriate commitments. They had aligned their life with God. They had surrendered their life to him in baptism. But unfortunately, we also know the names of people that were on another list. And that were those who were irresponsible in the present. That's led not only to eternal separation from God, but a whole lot of pain in the lives of those who remain behind. You see, the signals and the signs, they're all around us. But the question is, is how will you be found when the master returns? You see, that's the real question about the second coming. Is, are you ready? Are you focused? Are you aligned with? Are you saved by? When Jesus comes for us all, or when he chooses to come just for you in the late hour of the night, when you least expect it, even when you've had those, those little hints that the end could be near for you, it doesn't matter because you're ready. You're waiting forwardly. And like Simeon, you're at peace. Peace. Eschatology, just a big name for understanding the end times. It shouldn't make us fanatical, but it should make us faithful. Eschatology, 
should make us expectant, not fearful. It should make us in line with God's commands and his will for our lives. The end is near. It is. We're one day closer to the end. So what should we do? The end is near, so we should pray. We should be talking with God every day in communication with him. The end is near. We should be listening to God. The end is near. We should be expectant. We should be anticipating. We should be waiting forwardly, looking, eyes open, arms opened. The end is near. We should be encouraging each other. We should be serving each other. The end is near. And of all the things that we should be doing, we should be responding. You know, the Bible is clear when it says today is the day of salvation. Not tomorrow, not next week, today. It implies an urgency. It implies a response. How will you respond today? I pray that you'll respond in such a way that you can have peace about what's ahead. Because let me tell you, I've read the end of the book, and it is going to be spectacular. But this life today, no matter the tragedies or the hurts like we've experienced at our house this week, <laughs> no matter those, God is with us today. And he has great things for us to engage and do while we wait for his return that will occupy our minds, that will put our hands and our lives to work for him. I pray that you'll engage both. Let's stand. Father, thank you for today. Thank you for the promise of your return. Thank you for your arrival that demonstrates for us that you are good on your promises. Those thousands of years, Lord, of prophecy about how you would come and where you would come and, and how that arrival would take place to, to see this time of year that play out as we review the account of your first arrival over and over again each week, God. It's, it's neat. But more than that, it's, it's inspiring to know that just as you came the first time, you're coming again. And the signs are all around us. Yes, the signals are, are there. But they point us to today and the preparation these take place in our hearts. Friends, this morning as you hear this song, I, I, I want you to hear it for what it is. I, I want you to listen to the invitation of God in this song. And I'll meet you here if you'd like to respond.